Hello, grade 12s. This is Mrs. Bedard, living her full radio host fantasy right now. I have always wanted to host my own radio show. That's not fully true, but you know, I'm going to pretend that it's true right now. Um, but I am like super amped to do this pseudo podcast on one of the books that, you know, has had a very strong impression on me. Um, let me explain why I'm doing this. First, let me preface by saying that you do not have to listen to this podcast. Um, This is completely optional. I'm doing this as a way to sort of supplement some of the information that would have been given to you in class had we been doing this together. Basically, the slides that I've posted are the introductory slides to the novel that I would have been doing as like a mini lesson for like, let's say, half a period in class. Um... And I've posted them. And if you would just like to read them and call it a day, then you're totally okay to do. But some of you might be reading these slides and have some questions or not necessarily fully understand the information. So I thought since we are in the era of distance learning right now, I would take some time and basically uh, go through the slides as I would if we were in class and doing a lesson. So again, completely optional. You do not have to listen to this. If you choose not to listen to this, it was nice of you to drop in and fantastic. Thanks for listening to this far. I think we're at a minute and 20 seconds. Um, but if you'd like to continue listening, you'll be going along the slides as I go with them. I'm on the title slide right now. And as I move slides, I will say next slide. Okay. All right. So life apply, Jan Martel, ENG4UO, Mrs. Bedard, next slide. So The plan for this podcast is basically to discuss the following. We're going to do a brief overview of Jan Martel, who he is as a person and as an author. We're going to look more closely at the novel itself, some important aspects that you need to be paying attention to, some important themes, some symbols, and some suggestions on how you should be reading. And then we're going to look at some learning goals for the course, or not for the course, sorry, for this novel and for the unit that we're doing. All right, next slide. So Jan Martel, he's Canadian. Uh, He was actually born in Spain, but then became a Canadian citizen. He was born June 25th, 1963, which I think that makes him soon to be like 57, 67. I'm not really sure. Can't do the math very quickly. Um, He lives in Saskatchewan. Uh, We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about who it is and like his influences and stuff, because if you're really interested in that, I encourage you to look that up. Um, But the thing that I want you to know is that this guy is not just a flash in the pan author. It's not this guy that just had like a one book wonder, wrote a novel and like that was it. He's had some other really important novels. Um, He is a very notable Canadian author, and that's particularly why we've chosen this book. But the thing that I want to draw your attention to is Life of Pi won the Man Booker Prize for Fiction. And for those of you who are not familiar with, you know, the circuit of literary awards, the Man Booker Prize is a big deal. So the fact that Life of Pi won the Man Booker is a big deal, which is part of the reason why we've chosen this book as the focus of our study. Okay, next slide. Um, Let's talk about Martel's writing style in Life of Pi. Um, It's definitely not what I would qualify as like a challenging book to read in terms of the writing style. I'm sure you've all read books or poems or texts that are difficult or like very hard to be like to access the key ideas just because of the way that they're written. Think Shakespeare. Shakespeare, I mean, once we understand what's happening, you know, it's pretty easy to sort of like understand the story. The stories themselves are not necessarily always complex, but the writing style, because it's written in yield English, is super hard to get around. Life of Pi is not that way. I find that when I'm reading Life of Pi, it's very easy for me to 
you know, read through and there's not a whole lot of like super challenging passages or things that I'm like, I have to like go look up words in the dictionary. So it's very straightforward. And I would say it almost borders on casual in parts, but then that casual informal tone is spliced with these moments of very, very vivid description. And these descriptive passages, this, this use of imagery is so vivid that it becomes almost poetical and almost like this element of like surreal, ephemeral beauty in the passages. And all of that adds to the magical realism. So the magical realism, which we'll talk about as, as we move along the slides, it's a big deal when it comes to this novel. Um, the magical realism is definitely emphasized and it's almost heightened by its writing style. So that's something to keep in mind. The other thing for you to know is that there's very little dialogue in this book. Um, if you haven't been reading already, or if you have, you will have noticed that like there's not a whole lot of dialogue between characters, mainly because Pi is on a, a boat by himself for like, I don't know, 300 days. So there's not a whole lot in terms of conversational moments between characters. So it's definitely one character describing their own experience. Next slide. A little quick background about the novel itself. It was published September 11th, 2001, which we know is an important date in history. Um, I always like to kind of bring that up because I find it so interesting that a novel that is a innately about so much personal tragedy and struggle and the quest to survive uh, coincides with a very, very important moment in our collective world history. It seems to be a little bit uh, ironic for me. Uh, it was an international bestseller. It was on the bestsellers list for 61 weeks. So that's kind of a big deal. And it was adapted for film in 2012. And the, the movie itself was nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars. Now, this is where I will take a quick break and emphasize for those of you who have not seen the movie yet, I would strongly suggest you do not watch the movie until you've read the book. This is because this book, the narrative itself, is so widely open for interpretation. It's very, very easy for us to have different interpretations of like the very complex moments of the story. And when you watch the movie, you are automatically taken into one person's interpretation, one person's view of the complexities of this text. And that can kind of linger and stick with us as you are trying to read and construct your own interpretations of the complexities of this text. So I would really, really encourage you to wait until you've read the novel yourself or have maybe even like finished the novel and like finished all the tests that we're doing before you watch the film. Because I would, me personally, I would find that the movie would sort of skew my own views and I would automatically be going to uh, the movie interpretation as like my interpretation rather than coming up with the interpretations of my own. Obviously, this is just a very strong suggestion if you want to watch the movie because like, you know, or you've already seen it, don't stress about it. But it's my suggestion, given that there's so much to chew on with this novel and there's so much to analyze and look at, I would really encourage you to focus on the text before you go to the film. Next slide. This is just a quick overview for those of you who haven't read the novel yet. Obviously, like we've been reading the novel at home. Normally, I would be doing this on the first day that I've assigned this book to you, so we can skip through this overview. But for those of you wanting a quick synopsis, here you go. Next slide. So I want to spend a quick time uh, talking about the structure of the narrative of this novel. The narrative is structured as a story within a story, a narrative within a narrative. And it opens with this unnamed author. We never learn their name. We assume, we come to assume that it's a man. Um, who is an author of 
of sorts. And we come to understand that he is going to be the author of this novel. The question I always get from a lot of students is, is this unnamed author, the unnamed narrator? Is that Jan Martel himself or is it like another person? Ultimately, that's for you to decide. Okay. I, I, I like to think that Martel never sort of openly addresses it because he wants you to construct your own understanding of that. But the idea is that there is an unnamed narrator who is writing the story, right? Writing this book that has ultimately been published as Life of Pi. This author is sad and is going through like some, some personal struggles. And then he comes across the story of a man named Pi Patel. And the author then seeks out Pi Patel and then begins to tell Pi's story through Pi's eyes as if he were Pi himself. Okay. So Pi is the one telling the story, but the author is telling it on Pi's behalf. Okay. The author then you'll find sometimes interjects and offers some flashbacks or some flash forwards or some own um, interpretations. So we have this dueling narrative. The things that I'd like you to pay attention to are when those flashbacks happen, when those um, the author interjects and, and what the intended effect of those interjections would be. Remember, we've been talking about that nothing an author does is by accident. It's not a coincidence that this interjection or the author breaks in with his own commentary at this random point. It wasn't done because, oh, I got to do it somewhere. It was done intentionally. So it's important that you're considering why that happens within this story, within a story. Next slide. Um, the other thing that I would like you to pay attention to as you are reading the story and as you're paying attention to the narrative structure and style is how this whole story within a story relates to this concept of storytelling. The truth of storytelling and the power of storytelling is one of the biggest ideas that this novel addresses and this novel explores, okay? Basically, because we have this author, this unnamed narrator, this unnamed author telling Pi's story, we can do nothing. We, we have to acknowledge the fact that someone else is telling the story, right? It's not Pi sitting down and telling the story of his life. It's the author telling Pi's story, but telling it as Pi himself. So there are some like innate questions and some reliability issues that we have with that. Okay. It forces us as the reader to acknowledge that this is a story. It's not like something that necessarily could be a hundred percent true or hundred percent reliable. We are forced to question that. Okay. Next slide. What happens because of this story within a story and the fact that we are forced as the reader to question and acknowledge that someone else is actually telling a story to us is that this actually creates a very important dialogue between us and the story. We, the reader, become in, engaged in this conversation, this sort of silent conversation, silent dialogue with the storytellers, right? It asks you as the reader, this novel is going to ask you to engage with the text in a very important way. Through this story and through Pi telling his views and his story, it's going to ask you what you believe and what you think and what you feel to be true and to be real about a large number of things, including whether or not the story that Pi is telling you, whether it's believable or not. Because there are some really key points where you're like, there's no freaking way that this could actually happen in real life. Okay, so it is really important to you as a reader when you are reading Life of Pi to be paying attention to when the novel is asking you and engaging you in reflection, right? You should be thinking about what is being asked of you in terms of um, what you're being asked to reflect on and what you're being asked to evaluate, what kind of connections you're making to yourself, 
or to modern day or, or, or whatever it is that you, it's coming up for you. But the novel and the structure of this narrative within a narrative that forces us to acknowledge the storytelling is done intentionally to engage you in that reflection, in that dialogue with, with the story's events. So definitely be paying attention to when that happens and what happens. Next slide. So magical realism. This may not necessarily be a concept that you are wholly familiar with. Um, so we're going to do like a quick overview of what it is. And then we're going to talk about why it's so important to Life of Pi. Magical realism is this movement, a style of literature. And really, it's sort of like a movement of like art in general. We can see magical realism in um, visual arts. Uh, we've seen it in theater. Like there, it's, it's everywhere. But it's basically a movement of art that aims to express a realistic view of the world, but with some fantastical ma magical elements included. The idea is that magical realism explores the coexistence of the real world with fantasy elements. In Life of Pi, you're going to see that like the world is real, like it's a realistic world. There are actual real locations. Pi lives in Toronto. Uh, he is originally from a town called Pondicherry, which is a real town in India. Um, there are real locations and real like landmarks and world places that are acknowledged and part of the narrative. But then as the narrative unfolds, these magical elements begin to uh, pop up as Pi tries to survive at sea. So specifically when he visits the Algae Island, there's some stuff that you're just like, I have no idea what's happening. And there's this element of fantasy and magic that's happening there. The Island of Meerkats, um, even the actual taming of Richard Parker and how that's done, there's an element of fantasy to that. Um, so this book is most certainly an exploration of magical realism to begin with. Next slide. This quote is one of my favorite quotes in Harry Potter. Okay. Of course, it is happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean it is not real? Albus Dumbledore. The wise, wise, wise Albus Dumbledore. This quote to me sums up life of Pi to a key, right? A lot of what's happened, I mean, for Harry Potter in, in that sense, which if you haven't read Harry Potter, side note, you definitely should. Um, the idea of magical realism is that there are moments of narratives with these magical elements that become unbelievable. But does that mean that just because it's unbelievable doesn't mean that it's not real, right? That's the dialogue that this text is asking you to engage in. Does the magic of the narrative, does the fantasy of the narrative automatically mean that it's not believable or it's not true? Ultimately, you are left to decide. Next slide. Um, in general, the magical realism of Life of Pi is going to challenge you in terms of deciding what you believe and what is possible in terms of our own world. Ultimately, by the end of this novel, you, like the people who eventually rescue Pi, are going to be forced to determine what is actually believable and what is actually true about the story. Okay. But beyond determining like what happens in the story and like what actually happened when Pi was lost at sea, the bigger questions that the magical realism explores in this novel are far more important than actually determining what it is that like truly happened to Pi. Okay. So some questions that I'd like you to keep in mind as you're exploring the magical realism of the novel are the following. One is believability necessary for truth. Do you have to believe 
something happened or something something exists or for it to actually be true? In what dynamics do truth and believability coexist or codepend even on each other? But what is the relationship in terms of believability and truth in our, in our own views? Second question is, how does the fantastical exist within the ordinary? Okay. I mean, if we were getting really introspective about things, we could say that there are like magical elements in everyday life. You know, the fact that like I can plant seeds in the fall and like plants grow in the spring has sort of like a fantastical and magical element to it. But does it extend beyond that? What fantastical and what magical elements are we willing to extend our belief into existing within our ordinary modern lives? Okay. Ultimately, the big question that Life of Pi is asking you to ask yourselves is what do we choose to believe? Is belief a choice? Okay. And if it is a choice, or even if it's not a choice, how do we construct our own beliefs? Okay. And that seems kind of heavy and that seems sort of like really, really like existential and really like soul searching. And it can be. This book is the type of book that really asks you to like if you're open to it, really like dive down into like what you believe in and what what is meaningful for you. And this is one of the big ways that the novel does that is through this magical realism. Next slide. Okay, so we've been talking about the writing style. We've been talking about the narrative. We've been talking about magical realism. Let's talk about allegory. Allegory, if you're not familiar with it as a literary device, you definitely should be. Okay, that's like, especially if you're pursuing English and post-secondary, you need to be familiar with allegory. But allegory, for those of you who don't know what it is, is dictionary.com definition, a story, poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or a political one. So the idea is that you tell a story, but there's like a deeper meaning, and it's normally that meaning is connected to sort of a moral uh, like a, a moral teaching that we should be understanding or even a political teaching that we should be understanding, okay? Why it's important to understand is that life of Pi can be interpreted as one giant allegory, okay? It is clear that there is something happening beneath the surface when it comes to life of Pi, okay? Martel did not intend for the events of the novel to just be interpreted at surface level. Just be like, yeah, 100%. 16-year-old boy trapped on a boat, like a life raft with a giant Bengal tiger, 400 pounds for like how many days? Yeah, totally cool. And he's not asking us, and not, I don't think he's expecting us to just accept the events at surface value without questioning further. There is some sort of deeper interpretation beyond the surface. And we are definitely being asked to engage in that analysis, okay? If we are not meant to take the events and the characters, the events that happen and the characters themselves as literal, meaning if we're not to take them just simply at surface value, then we need to think about what they could represent on a deeper level. My suggestion as you are reading this novel is to question everything, okay? Question everything. Everything is open for up for interpretation. Everything can be questioned. And remember what I always say. There is no wrong answer. If you can back up what you're saying, there is absolutely zero wrong answers. If you can support your opinion, you support your point of view. Question everything, find evidence to support your interpretations. And that's when like, I think you'll really find some deeper personal meaning in this novel. Next slide. So at the end, 
pa, uh, Martel eventually kind of gives us one way that we can interpret the characters and the framework for the plot, right? He offers an interpretation at the very end of the novel. Ultimately, though, we as the readers are left to decide what happens. So these are some things that I want you to sort of keep in the back of your mind as you're being asked to engage in sort of questioning with the novel and in personal reflection and make connections to yourself and to the world that you exist in. Consider the following. Consider what he's trying to tell us about survival. Survival meaning like what happens to us as people when we try to survive, what happens to the human condition, um, how we change and how we grow both for the good and for the better as we are faced in survival circumstances. Um, I'd also like you to look at what Martel is trying to tell us about faith and about humanity. Uh, faith specifically in terms of like, what is faith? Is faith um, always spiritually connected? Is there something beyond faith in God or or a God, whatever you choose to believe? Or is there, is faith something, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More uh, all encumbered, all, all, all encompassing. Okay. Humanity in terms of who we are as people and the things that we value and the things that are important to us as um, our morals and our ethics and, and, and the things that we hold as our beliefs, as the pillars of our society, what happens to those things. Okay. Those are definitely some key pillars that he's exploring, but there's so, 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 so much more. So definitely, as I've been saying, question everything and be willing to engage in everything. And then you're going to find some really cool personal connections to this text. I'm, I'm sure of it. Okay. Question everything. Next slide. All right. So let's just quickly look at some of the major themes. This is not, and I repeat, not a comprehensive list. Okay. This is just sort of like the, what I call like the common suspects that if you were to Google like themes in life of Pi, these are the ones that are going to come up. Okay. So the way I frame this is that there is the thematic topic. This is not a thematic statement and some questions, some things that you might be wanting to keep in your, in your, your head as you're reading or necessarily be taking notes on, um, as you are reading along. So first is this thematic idea of survival. So some questions are like, what happens when we're not just necessarily fighting for our physical survival, like our, you know, our like physical, like life or death survival, but what happens when we are also fighting for the survival of ourselves, the survival of our sense of being, who we are as a person, what happens when we're faced with that circumstance? The other question is what are we capable of doing and what are we capable of becoming in order to survive? And how does that go uh, contribute to our own sense of being when we're faced with extraordinary circumstances? Okay. And the other concept that is really lo being looked at in this novel is, is physical survival meaningless if your nature is destroyed? What value in there is there in surviving if you've compromised everything about who you are, if you've completely gone back on things that you said you'd never do, it, what what's left for us if we survive if we've completely uh, in a way like completely gone against all of the things that we stood for okay those are definitely some things to keep in mind as we're looking at this concept of survival the next one is this idea of faith so the novel is definitely looking at how we discover faith how we define our own faith um is is faith specifically tied to religion or is it tied to a spirituality so how, how do we discover that? How do we construct that understanding and construct that relationship for ourselves? 
It's also looking at the relationship between science and spirituality for a long time. And I think that there are still, you know, uh, groups of people and, and areas of the world that would deny that science and spirituality can coexist in the same realms. Um, but this novel definitely tends to explore the relationship between science and spirituality. So how does science and spirituality, how does that coexist one another? And how do those contribute to our own understanding of our own faith? Okay. The last area is kind of ties to this truth of storytelling and the ideas of believability and what's real. That's definitely explored in faith. I mean, one of the common criticisms that you'll see of, of any religion of religion in general, is this idea of like, well, how can you like believe those things if you don't have any proof? So this novel definitely asks you to look at faith as an exercise in believability and how is faith an exercise and whether you can believe it or not. Next slide. Um, life is the most important story to be told. The idea is that this novel is not just called Pi or like Pi Patel. It's called Life of Pi. It's not even called The Life of Pi. It's just called Life of Pi. And when we're talking about storytelling, it's telling his a, a small segment of his life story. It's not telling the full story of his life, but it's telling what is, you know, regarded as the most interesting part of his life story. So how is it that the stories of others can shape and inform our own life story? And, and how does what we choose to believe if we're talking about believability as a choice and how we construct our own understanding and what we choose to believe, how does that ultimately influence the stories that we tell to others? Okay. Another concept is this idea of growth through adversity. Ultimately, what is it about suffering and fear that makes us better people? Can suffering and fear actually make us a better person or is it going to ruin who we are? Um, suffering and fear are forms of trauma. And is trauma necessarily always something that we endure and come out on the other side as a, best, a better person? You know, I think that that's what we would all hope for our own traumatic experiences that we've lived through and that we, you know, are grappling with. But what is it about the adversity that can lead to growth? Okay. And is growth only possible if we have overcome something bad, if we have overcome some misfortune of some kind? Is adversity a necessary component to personal growth? Or is there another possible way? Okay. The last concept that I want you to pay attention to is this idea of truth. Okay. Truth. We've been talking about a whole lot. You're being forced to question whether a story is true, whether it's believable, whether it's real. So how is it that we determine what is real? And ultimately, this is going to be a really heavy sort of existential philosophical question, but what is truth? You know, what is truth if we don't necessarily 100% believe it? Does that mean that it's true or not? Does that mean that just because I don't necessarily believe all of it, that parts of it aren't true? How is our understanding of truth constructed through that? What is it? Last part is, is reliability a necessary component of truth? Do we have to rely and acknowledge the source of the story as a trustworthy, reliable source in order to acknowledge that it's true or not? What are your own personal views in terms of truth and acknowledging what is true and what is not true? That is certainly something that this novel is asking you to explore. Next slide. Um, so let's talk about some important symbols super quickly. So first is Pi. Pi's name is very important. First, Pi, if, if those of you who are taking math, obviously you are getting your three math credits, but we all know that Pi is 3.14, which is like the irrational number with which scientists try to understand the universe. Don't ask me about the history of how the Pi number was formed. I don't know. But the idea is that this number, 3.14, comes up in like a wide 
variety of mathematical equations. And it's irrational. It goes on to infinity. It's ever repeating. People, you know, it's got like infinite decimal points and it's irrational. But this irrationality makes helps us make sense of certain aspects of our existence. So it's interesting that pi, this character, is named after this irrational number. Okay. Piscine Molitor. There is a swimming pool in Paris named the Piscine Molitor. Okay. So there is actually this pool in Paris that pi is named after. Okay. These connections, this this pi 3.14 and the Piscine Molitor, they directly describe pi and his journey, who he is as a person and his journey. So it's important to look at him and his name specifically as one of the most important symbols of the story. The other important symbols that you need to look at are definitely the animals aboard the life raft with Pi. Like we've been saying this entire course, things are not chosen by accident. Authors do not make decisions by accident. There is a reason why it is a tiger, why it is an orangutan, why it is a hyena, and why it is a zebra. This dynamic of group of characters on the boat with Pi is the most important allegorical concept in this novel. I'm saying it point blank. You need to pay attention to this dynamic of characters, this group of animals, specifically these animals, why these animals were chosen, the temperaments and the personalities that are reflected in this, these animals. You need to pay attention to this. It is an allegory. It's an allegory of some kind. There is a, another interpretation. There is symbolism out the eyeballs. You need to be paying attention to this. Um, I would also encourage you to specifically pay attention to the dynamic between Pi and Richard Parker. Richard Parker is the Bengal tiger that he gets trapped on the boat with. Pay attention to that dynamic, the dynamic between Pi and Richard Parker. It's a really, really important juxtaposition and it's a really, really important relationship. But it's, again, another one of the biggest allegorical concepts. The relationship, there is more than just what we see at surface level. There's tons of us that uh, think parts of this relationship that we need to question. You need to engage with uh, some deeper analysis about the relationship between Pi and Richard Parker. Next slide. In general, as we wrap up, here are some big questions that I'd like you to consider as you read. We've been sort of touching upon this, but here's like one clear side where I'm gonna slide where I'm gonna lay them out for you very clearly and very directly. First, what makes a person or a story believable? What are our own expectations and our own personal criteria to believe what a person is saying or, or a story that's told to us? Okay. Second, are truth and believability the same thing? Are they inextricably linked? Must we believe someone or believe something in order for it to be true and vice versa? Or can they coexist separately? Can something be true and still unbelievable and vice versa? The last question is, who gets to determine what is real? Who gets to determine what reality is? If we are willing to, to suspend our disbelief and acknowledge that maybe like reality isn't created or masterminded over by like one person, if we're willing to sort of acknowledge that, you know, reality is this fluid thing, who gets to determine what's real and who gets to create it for us? I know that's a really heavy question, but ultimately these are the big sort of deeper concepts that this novel is exploring. Next slide. We're almost in the home stretch, guys. So. If it's not clear by now, this novel is really complex. 
It is not a challenging book to read in terms of the writing style, but there are a lot of complex ideas that this novel is exploring. You can't rush, okay? And if with this was normal circumstances and if we were in school every day seeing each other face to face, I would be encourage you to be reading a little bit every day. I'd also not be like rushing and and we would be really encouraged to sort of absorb and as I've been saying, chew on the bigger concepts. This novel, in order to really get the full experience of it, you definitely need to give yourself time to be thinking about it. You need to be really giving yourself some time to sort of think through the bigger concepts. And I fully respect the fact that there are a lot of things happening right now that might be a distraction to that time. All I will say is do your best, okay? I am treating Life of Pi for me personally. I'm treating, I'm rereading it with you guys. And I'm treating this as a welcome distraction to what is currently happening in our world, okay? I am going to take my time every day and I'm going to read Life of Pi and I'm going to allow myself a space of 30 minutes, maybe an hour to just read and only focus on the book. I personally, I'm not going to have my phone near me. I'm going to go up to my room and avoid my, you know, adorable baby and husband. And I'm going to have that quiet time to myself and just use this book as an escape. And I would invite you to do the same thing. Because this book is beautifully written. And as I've told you guys before, I hated this book the first time I read it. And I realized after the fact that I read it because I was rushing and I just was trying to get through it. And part of the obstacle for me was the deeper concepts and and the allegories and the things that you really needed to give yourself time to chew on. But a lot of it was just my immaturity and wanting to rush. The second time I read it through and I realized I was teaching it and I had to take my time to understand it, I developed a much, much more meaningful appreciation for this text. So I would encourage you to give yourself as much time as you can to really appreciate this novel. It is one of the books probably I would put in my top 10 of all time. And it's mainly because there is so much that I've been able to make my own personal connections to. So I know that there's a lot of really stressful, really uncertain things that are happening in our world today. And reading a novel because you have to do this distance learning through your computer is not necessarily perhaps the thing that you might want to be going to. But I would encourage you, maybe we can use this as an escape. Maybe we can use this as a way to sort of find um, some comfort and some some familiarity in, in the tradition of reading. Okay. As you're reading for your own benefit, I'd encourage you to find your own way to track some things. You definitely want to be tracking what's happening with plot. You want to be tracking what's happening with characters. You want to be tracking some thematic developments. You want to be tracking some literary devices and writing style. Have a system that works for you, whether that's putting sticky notes in your book, whether it's uh, having just a separate notebook where you're taking notes, whether you're taking notes on a doc of some kind. Have a way that you can sort of track and highlight some key points. For me, I always buy my own copy of a book. I have my own personal copy and I write my notes directly in there. I highlight and do all of that. You obviously have school copies unless you've invested in your own. But either way, have a system for taking notes and tracking some important things so that it's just easier when you're going back to complete assignments for you to find some of the key points that you want to address. Okay. You should definitely be looking for important passages. The thing that I would really encourage you to do is be acknowledging and identifying passages or lines or parts of the text that you could be using as evidence for your thinking for tasks later. Ultimately, for this unit, we're going to be doing some some writing. We're going to be looking at essay writing, both literary analysis and personal narrative writing. 
So you'll definitely want evidence from the text to be able to support you with those tasks. Next slide. Uh, so some learning goals. In general, these are the things that we're hoping to get out of this unit. First, I can understand the unique qualities and features of this novel, including its themes and literary style. By the end of this unit, I should be able to confidently understand that you know what happens in this novel and you've made some, you've constructed some understanding of the novel's themes and um, how the literary style contributes to those themes. I can critically analyze the novel using evidence to support my thinking. You're going to be asked to interpret and critically discuss the novel and you're going to be asked to use evidence to support that. That should be status quo. That's basic literary analysis that you've been doing since grade nine. So that's definitely a goal. We should be able to master that goal at this point. The last one is I can make connections between the novel and my own lived experience. As we've been saying, this book is going to ask you to engage in dialogue with the text. It's going to ask you to engage in active reflection. I would really encourage you to do that. For me personally, sometimes the weight of what's happening with this pandemic can be really, really heavy. And it's really easy for me to get stuck inside my head right now. And reading this novel and going back has allowed me to get inside my own head, but in a more productive way. It's kind of weird for me to describe, and maybe I'm not able to accurately describe it through podcast, but the idea is that by engaging with this text, even though I've read it a whole bunch of times by now, by revisiting those things, those topics that it asks me to really engage with, I found some like fun comfort with myself and like some fun affirmation with my own beliefs and my own attitudes towards certain things. So I would definitely encourage you to sort of value this opportunity because I, I, I'm having a really positive experience reading it around this time around. And I, I'm hopeful that you guys will all be able to have the same experience as well, even though we're not able to do it in the same room together. Okay, next slide. Last slide is if there's questions. Now, normally this would be the opportunity where like if we had questions, you know, in the classroom, I'd be calling on all of you. But obviously we can't do that. So if you've got questions, please feel free to email me. I will obviously be able to get back to you as soon as I can. Um, if you would prefer to drop me like an audio file with your question or if we can engage that way. I mean, you guys are all far more tech savvy than I am. So if you've got questions about any of this information or any of the expectations for this unit, definitely let me know as soon as possible and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Okay. Now, where do we go from here? Where you go from here is you are reading the first section. The first assigned section, according to your reading schedule, is all of part one, which goes until the end of chapter 36. Basically, that's everything from like where the time that the book starts until the time that Pi gets on the boat. Okay. You are going to be doing one of the reading tasks from the list. There are 10 options for you to do. You're going to pick one and you're going to do it and you're going to submit it. You're also going to post it to the Google Classroom discussion thread so that other people can offer you constructive feedback and you can offer constructive feedback to others. We're going to do that for every one of the reading sections that has been assigned to you. As we move forward through this unit, we're also going to be doing some um, practice activities and some other tasks to help us develop our skills to work on the writing summatives, the writing summatives being the literary essay or the personal narrative. Just like the reading summative, you'll have the option of which one you can do, literary essay or personal narrative essay, but we're going to do practice tasks and formative tasks for each one, and then you can ultimately decide which one you're going to pursue for the summative, okay? So that's it. And look, we're a hair under 40 minutes, so it's almost like we're in class about half the period. Look at that. It's like I'm a pro. Um, on a personal note, I just want to say I know that this isn't ideal. I would much rather be in a classroom with all of you, but I hope that this is, you know, 
enough to get us by in the interim. I'm hopeful that I will be able to see all of you soon and be able to have these conversations about this novel with all of you in person. I hope you are keeping well. I hope you are staying safe. First and foremost, I hope you are taking care of yourselves physically and mentally. Okay. Um, just know that I am thinking of all of you and I am thinking of and sending all of you nothing but the best. I'm sending you all of the strength and positivity that I can. Okay. Um, if you've got questions, again, email me. And I don't know, I think this podcasting thing went pretty good. I might have to make this a habit. We'll talk to you guys soon.